You are listening to Hope Fellowship Church of Jaffrey, New Hampshire. If you would like to check out more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit hfcnh.org. We're going to continue in our series focused on the church, focused on the church. And so last week we kind of got us to the point where, where the, the sacrifice of Christ has occurred and the gospel is now spreading and it's spreading through the avenue of the church. I was reflecting this week as I began to think through um, the, what we were going to be sharing today and thinking through and I came across a, a hymn that I, I hadn't come across in, in quite some time, but it, it should be obvious the message that's here for us, that it's for us even today. Uh, the hymn, The Church's One Foundation, and I just want to read the, the first verse of that. It's what's going to kind of drive a little bit of what we're thinking through this morning. The Church's One Foundation. The Church's One Foundation is Jesus Christ, her Lord. She is his new creation by water and the word. From heaven he came and sought her to be his holy bride. With his only blood he bought her and for her life he died. Our whole morning has been centered around, even in our worship, this idea that we've been rescued and we've been placed into this new relationship and this new community that's driven by the mission of God. But we need to ask ourselves questions. Often, as I begin to think through various passages of Scripture, I begin to think through, okay, well, what, what are the things I need to understand here? And when you, when you think of the church, right, when you think of going to church, being the church, right, when you're asked the question, what is the church? Why do you go to church? What comes to mind? What are the reasons why? Why is the church important? And there's a variety of ways in which people have described the church, right? I mean, you can simply just look at Webster's Dictionary, which simply states that the church is a building for public and especially Christian worship, right? To, to some, the church has come to mean, right, it's a building or it's an organization, right? Now, for all our understanding, we should go to the IRS to understand what they say the church is, because from there, they enlighten us on what the church is. In fact, they say it has a distinct legal existence and religious history. Oh, a recognized creed and form of worship, established places of worship, a regular congregation, regular religious services, and an organization with ordained ministers. Some would describe the church as a group of people trying to do good in the world or in their communities. So what is your definition of the church? What is, has been my definition of the church? But I think a deeper question that gets to the core of whether or not we view the church as essential is this question. Do I need the church? Do I need the church? Because on this question and the answer to it hinges the value that we are placing on the reality of the church. It reveals our understanding of the church in God's storyline. It informs the priority we give to church or not. See, if church is just an organization, if it's just 
a building, if it's just a random group of people gathered together, well, what's, what's its mission? Why do we actually do it? But maybe there's something more to the church than just that. But we live in a culture, especially here in America, where there's a growing movement, even among self-proclaimed Christians and in the broader culture, that we can get spirituality without religion, without the church. To have a relationship without rules and to have God without the church. That in some way, maybe these can be separated. And these days, being spiritual is kind of in, but religion, no. Community is a good thing, but the church, lame. Both inside the church and out, organized religion is often seen as oppressive, irrelevant, and a waste of time. People like Jesus, but not the church. People have been told that they can do just fine with God apart from the church, that it's solely personal, and you don't need the church. So, is church more than just a social club? Is it, is it just a time to make people get together? Is it, is it more than a place that, where we've seen some use to manipulate people to give so that others can grow wealthy while they use religion to gain wealth and power? What is the church? If we don't answer that well, then the purpose of the church can go anywhere and everywhere we want it to go. So whether you're a committed individual who's following Christ, you're committed to the church, maybe you're a disgruntled individual and your, your view of the church is not beautiful. Maybe you're waffling, right? You just don't know where to, I don't know what to think about the church. Yeah, I, I, it's good, it's, it's bad, it's, I don't know. Maybe you're disconnected. You're just not, not sure even where to begin in thinking about the church. And so given these realities, given the the reality of how our culture views the church, what we've seen in the news that unfortunately continues to happen time and time again, under the name of Christianity, under the name of God, under the name of church, people exploit others in a way that makes us think, is the church even essential? Is it needed? I think it's important that we know from God's word what the church is. What is its goal? What is its function? What is its mission? And how does the church align with the eternal mission of God? How does it align as we've been looking at this whole arc of God redeeming people? How does it align with that eternal mission of God? How do we get, here's, here's where the big rub is right now where we're at in our timeline. God has been focused on the nation of Israel to be a light among the heathen nations, it says in the Old Testament. And now there's this transition from Israel to now the church, to all tribes, tongues, and nations. Did God somehow make a mistake with Israel and he's just kind of restarting everything, choosing a new direction? Is this just his attempt to start over? And I think we're going to see from Scripture that no, this was part of God's eternal plan all along. And that his mission has not changed, but the avenue in which he is exercising that mission 
has. Last week, Pastor Jordan helped us see the turn that was being made in God's redemptive plan as the Spirit indwells and gathers together those who put their faith in Christ. And this is one of the first fundamental distinctions of who the church is. No longer is it just Spirit-enabled leaders representing the people. Now, each believer would have the Spirit and would, by such, gather the people together under Christ through the work of the Spirit in each one's life. So the church is a people called by God, incorporated into Christ, and dwelt and dwelt by the Holy Spirit. The church then belongs to God, and as Roman 9 points out, that these are my, or God's, people. Now this should be a familiar title, because this same title is what God had previously applied to Israel as his people, his gathered chosen ones. It's now being applied to the church much more broadly. So the church is this assembly of those who are united together in the reality and fellowship of the dwelling of the Holy Spirit. And so this implies that God has now, he's gathered a new people. He's moving not just from one nation, but now a much larger and broader group, this new people for the purpose of furthering his redemptive plan to save the lost. It means that the church must have some role to play in God's eternal plan. It must mean that there is great importance on the church being just that. Ones who have turned from their own way, submitted to Christ, are indwelled by the Spirit, and now work together in some fashion for God and his mission to the world. But what does that mean? Because that's a, a loaded statement. What is that mission? What is its purpose? Why did God choose the church? Why did he select this new people? Thankfully, we have guys like Peter and John and James and Paul who lay this out for us. And today, we're gonna mainly focus in on what Paul taught on the church, especially from his letter in to Ephesus, the book of Ephesians. And so you could turn there in your Bible, uh, be ready to go there, book of Ephesians. Because Paul kind of builds out some of our deepest understanding of what church is in God's mission. What, the, what is the purpose? How does it function? He lays those things out. And the other epistles uh, continue to build and reiterate what Paul lays out for us in greater detail. So what I'd like to do this morning is to highlight what Paul teaches us from Ephesians on the church. And, and how it functions. And then with the time I have remaining, I want us to see the mission of the church, which is built from an understanding of what the mission of God has been and is moving forward. I want to think about this. In the timeline that we've gone through, this is a major transition. This is a major pivotal moment. Because at this point, we are going to see how everything we have walked through over the past few months has led us to this moment in history where the church is now the thing God has chosen to drive his message into our communities and has expanded on a global scale. Biblical scholar John Stott has suggested that the church is not only central to history, but to the gospel and Christian living as well. So if the church is central to God's plan, we can't push it to the periphery. We have to understand it. We have to look at it. Here's the reality. The church is it. Next week, we're gonna be talking about the end. Question mark, right? 
But the church is it right now. The church marks the end of the age. It is the final movement of God. What we're experiencing right now as the church gathered together is the final movement of God to rescue sinners before Christ comes again, to finish what he started, to restore what we broke, to bring ultimate glory to his name as creator of everything, and all that humanity has experienced in all of our history together. This is the church, the final chapter before the end. And so it's important that we get it right. It's important that we understand the importance of the church, not as an organization, not as a building, but as part of the mission, the eternal mission of God. And so we have the formation and the function, the internal aspects of the church. How, how did it come together? How is it supposed to function? What does it look like? Now, the beginning of Ephesians, Paul's gonna point out the centrality of Christ for the life of a believer and the church. But first, I want us to acknowledge a problem that we have. We even sang about it this morning, the problem that we have and how Christ solved that problem. First, we need to solve this problem of the nation of Israel as God's people versus the rest of the world, right? Gentiles. In Ephesians 2, verses 11 through 12, we have some problems that are laid out for us. And just follow along with me there. Chapter 12, verses 11. or sorry, chapter two, verses 11 through 12. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So there's this big problem to allow the rest of the world to be part of the family of God, his people, this new, new covenant he's made. There's, there's already some problems there that are being identified by Paul. He says, look, you were without Christ. You didn't understand the gospel. You didn't know the gospel. You didn't know Jesus. And if that wasn't problem enough, you're excluded from being citizens of Israel. So if you wanted to be part of the nation of Israel, if you wanted to be part of God's people, you can't because you can't be part of their nation, their people. You're foreigners to the covenants. You you don't follow the covenant. These covenants don't apply to you. The promises of Abraham do not apply to you. The promises of David do not apply to you because you're not part of God's people. You're not part of the nation of Israel. And so we get to the most depressing part. So you're without hope. There's no chance for you. You're without the true God. And so we had what unfolded last week for us. We see in the book of Acts that as the gospel was spreading, we see then this drastic change that was no longer gonna be about being part of a particular nation, being in the right tribe. It was no longer gonna be about, well, well, this, this covenant that you couldn't be a part of. No, it was gonna be much bigger than that. And we see in the book of Acts that as the gospel was spreading, as we see particular groups outside of the nation of Israel be met with the gospel of Jesus, having unique experiences which highlight the change from this old covenant to this new covenant, that no longer is it just Israel, but it's the whole world. All tongues, all tribes, all nations. It was no longer about being part of the nation of Israel or following the appropriate Old Testament rituals, 
Christ had satisfied the requirements of the old covenant and the new covenant was found in faith in Christ which is applied by the spirits indwelling on the individual. Solving the problems. So know that all people, all tribes, all tongues, all nations could turn to Christ, have what Christ had done on on the cross applied through the work of the spirit and be part of the church, God's people, his family. And so Paul deals with the problem. He points out that problem. And he goes then to the centrality of Christ, which I want us to see there, the centrality of Christ. Because in Christ, we as individuals are linked to Christ's death and resurrection and thus receive salvation. Again, we're, we're trying to define what is the church. The church is not just a random group of people. For the nation of Israel, you could believe in God or not believe in God and you are still part of the nation of Israel. You're still his covenant people. The big change was it was Christ and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that was gonna mark those who were gonna be part of the church, the part of the new covenant. It wasn't about did you get born into the right family, it was about have you turned to Christ, your only hope. And so Paul often focuses right in on the centrality of the gospel, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ in order to receive salvation, in order to be rescued. I want to read a longer section of scripture here in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14, but it's important for us to hear this is what defines who's part of the church. In verse 3 of chapter 1 in Ephesians, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace which, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. The death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is the central identifier of those who are within the church, which has been applied through the work of the Spirit in each individual's life. And so in Christ, we together are linked then to Christ's death and resurrection and are thus are united to one another then as God's people, the church. Look over at chapter two, verses 11 through 13. Therefore, remember that at one time, right, you Gentiles in the flesh, you're called uncircumcised, right? You, you can't be part of this, but now, verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. 
So no longer, if you continue to go through chapter two, and I would encourage you, we don't have time to go through every chapter, but especially the first few chapters, four chapters of Ephesians, just read the entire book. Look at what it's saying to those of us who had no hope because we weren't part of the nation of Israel in this new covenant, this new mission of God was including us through Christ. It binds us together. I love being able to go and visit people all across the world, other believers. There's this instant bond, right? Those of you who've gone, maybe visited missionaries or overseas, you've met other believers, or you just meet other believers out and about. There's a unique bond that's there. Why? Because we're united together as one. We're part of the same family. We're part of the church. And in Christ, the whole cosmos, the whole world, the universe is linked to Christ's saving work and being reconciled. Don't want us to miss verses nine through 10. Making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things in earth. Spend more time next week talking about this new heaven, new earth, but all things are are, are encapsulated in what Christ has done and the restoration that is coming. So because of Christ's saving work, through our union with him, we as the church are now the image of God. We are the one new people, not just one nation and one geographic location who somehow has to influence everyone else. No, God has expanded the influence by saying those who turn to Christ who are indwelled with the Holy Spirit are now the image of God. We are the one new people, the new humanity, the people called to display God to the world, the new creation in the image of God called to reflect Christ and embody God's holiness a message that he was constantly giving to the nation of Israel through all those thousands of years that we were looking at the nation of Israel was be a light to the nations around you. You're a people that have been set apart. You're living under my rule and reign. You are to reflect to the rest of the world this this new way to live, this good and healthy way in which you were created to live. He says, this is the way I have designed you. And you're to be a light. We are to be a light among the nations. Paul continues in Ephesians to teach the church about the marks of the authentic church, right? Who makes up the church? Those who have turned to Christ and are indwelled by the Holy Spirit, that's the church. And so then he goes, okay, well what does that church look like? What are the markers of a authentic, healthy church? And so Paul encouraged the believers in a few areas, in love, in discernment, and devotion to honor for one another. Again, just looking inward at the church. These marks of authentic community were marked by uh, this fleshed out, fleshed out by humility, generosity, and genuine care for one another. Now, we, we'll go into a little bit of like what, what makes up how we function as the church, but just internally how, internally, how we're supposed to view one another, we're supposed to view each other with love, to have discernment of how we care for one another, to be devoted to one another, to show humility and generosity and genuine care for one another. How well are we doing at loving one another, being devoted to one another? 
to showing humility and generosity and genuine care for one another? Do we view churches as something, hey, I, I get something out of it, it's for me. I come in, I get out, I do my thing on Sunday and I'm out. Again, if that's our definition of church, it's just an organization, it's just a thing I do one day a week, we've missed the purpose of the church. These are the, authentic, the marks of an authentic, healthy church. It's about how the people care well for one another. In Romans 12, I think we get a really good picture of this. Romans 12, verses three through eight. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. This is to the church. But to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, there's variety, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, Christ as the head, and individual, individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Those markers of love, humility, generosity, genuine care for one another. And so we have these ongoing identifiers of the church, but we also have these expressions of communication towards one another. Two major ones, baptism. Our opportunity to proclaim to one another, I have submitted to Christ, help me. A beautiful picture of the gospel of what Christ has done and a call to us as the family of God to be united together, to encourage, to love, to be devoted, to show humility, generosity, and genuine care for each one. The coming together of the Lord's table, reminding ourselves of the centrality of our family unit is Christ and the sacrifice he made in his resurrection. Now, there's a variety of other ways that Paul, throughout his teachings, points us to how we are bound together. We're bound together in unity and we're seen as a healthy church in many other ways. We see it through our preaching. It needs to come from God's word. It's not just a time for us to gather together and, and build each other up with empty words that have no backing whatsoever. We highlight God's word as our sole authority. That, that we desire to understand what God's word is saying and we teach it well. We're focused on the centrality of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're focused on seeing people come to Christ we're focused on being a light in our communities, in our workplaces. We're focused on us being together as members of the church, this local body expression of God's church. We're focused on, on even church discipline in, in, in responding to those who continue to reject Christ and cause disunity among God's family. We're committed to discipleship and growth, seeing each one grow closer to the Lord. We're committed to biblical church leadership. So this is the essence of how the church body is to function towards one another. For where these worship practices and marks of authenticity are present, right, where you see genuine love, humility, generosity, genuine care for one another, for where these things are present, communication's encouraged, 
intimacy and fellowship will be developed, mutual burden bearing will be found, and prayer will become frequent practice. As a whole, a, gen, a, a general sense of belonging will be created. The origin of the church is found in the centrality of the gospel of Christ. Without his rescue and the application of his work by the Spirit, then there is no unity among us as a people of God. Then we are just a social club meeting together. We function out of a response to what God has done, both internally and how we care and disciple one another, as well as how we display this unity to the world around us, which serves as a testimony to the world around us, compelling them to seek Christ and become new members of God's growing family, his people. As we experience God's love for us and as we show genuine care and concern for one another, that should bubble over into the community that we're reaching. So this is how God formed the church. But we have to get to why. (laughs) What is his mission? What was his purpose in moving the redemptive story this direction? Why did he choose the church? And so from these questions, we can lay out what the mission of God is, and from that, we can look at what the mission of the church must be in these final days. And so the mission of God is kind of this foundational thing. It's, it's, it's best if we kind of look at the overall arc. So long story short, I'm gonna look at that arc, the way in which God has been rescuing mankind from their rebellion, right? In creation, we're starting way at the beginning. Right? God as the one and only creator and therefore distinct from his creation. There is a creator who is separate from his creation. He created us. And God affirms that his creation is good and that it glorifies him. He then created man and woman in his image. And this is the thing that, is, that his creation is marked by. God's good creation was marked by peace. Right? From the very beginning, It operated as he intended it to operate. He was the creator. He made it function the way it was supposed to function. Humanity functioned the way it was supposed to function. All of creation, including humanity, lived and breathed by living by the design God had made them to function within. And so through this, it gave God glory. It provided the ultimate flourishing for mankind and the rest of creation. As he ends the creation story, he says, it was good. Creation was good. It was living by his design. Unfortunately, the story doesn't just end there and we live happily ever after, but there's a fall. Adam and Eve's desire for autonomy, separation from God, being their own masters. Adam and Eve's sin resulted in a broken relationship with God. And Adam and Eve, as I'm sure they tried, couldn't limit the consequences of their sin to themselves, Cain murdering Abel. And sin just replicating itself all over. But man's relationship with himself was broken. Our own internal relationship with ourselves is broken. How? Well, our rationale is broken. Our idolatrous mind corrupts our will. We can't even control what happens in our own head. The moral aspects of humanity is broken. We don't love what is good. We often promote what is evil. The social aspects of humanity is broken. 
Why? Because we exploit others and love ourselves inordinately. Our creative aspects are broken. Because often our imagination leads to idolatry rather than worship of the true God. And the one we often see most is the physical dimension. We experience deficiencies, sickness, and death. And so with all this brokenness just within each of ourselves, it's no wonder that we struggle with trying to find our true purpose and identity in a world that has been utterly devastated by the corruption of sin. Creation itself is affected by human sin. What we see and experience in the created order, especially in the confusion of it, is broken. So this is the fall. The story doesn't stop. Redemption occurs. With Adam, in that moment of the fall, in God's interaction with Adam, there's promised death. You will face death as a consequence of sin. Sin will have its time, but there is a new life coming. God called Israel then to be his missional people, to be a light among the nations. God gathers the church to then be his missional people. So humanity can be reconciled. Redemption begins in man's relationship with God and others. Redemption begins in man's relationship to the created order. Redemption begins in man's relationship with himself, pointing to the final movement, the restoration of all things. When a new heaven and new earth, the restoration of all nations, the great divide, the corruption and sin, and those who've rejected Christ separated from God's kingdom. At this time, after winding its way through creation, fall, redemption, and restoration, God's mission will have found its fulfillment. He will have glorified glorified himself in redeeming his image bearers, renewing his good creation, restoring them both to the intended peace. God the creator is God the redeemer who redeems humanity so that they can glorify him, extend his mission through their whole human lives in their spiritual, moral, rational, creative, relational, and physical aspects in both in their personal, social, and cultural dimensions. He reverses the alienation they have experienced in relation to God, to each other, the created order, and even self. So God's redemption is powerfully comprehensive, reversing what the fall had done. And so the church's mission then is also holistic and restorative. So the mission of church flows from our understanding of how God is using the church to further his eternal plan through five dimensions. One is by looking upward. Each of us should be looking to God. Psalm 63, one puts it this way. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water, do we thirst for God? Is he the one that we are ultimately seeking? So the dimension of looking upward, then looking inward. Look at Israel, God told Abraham that from him would come a great people from whom he would bless all the nations. We see this revealed further in Moses and Israel that he had chosen them in order to bring them as a kingdom of priests and a holy nation who would display his glory to a watching world. 
And so God intended Israel to be a light among other nations through their love of God and one another. And so this paved the way for God's next step by introducing the church to the world. And so the church, they're, they're, when we look at just the New Testament, there's a, nearly 100 phrases used to provide the imagery of the church and how it was to function. Some of the most clear are the people of God, the body of Christ, and the temple of the Spirit. The Spirit empowers mis- empowered mission. Each of these images portrays the church as a missional people whose mission is enabled and exemplified by inner life. 1 Thessalonians 5.15 says, see that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another, to everyone. John 13, Christ with his followers, verses 34 through 35, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Not looking inward, but also looking backward. God called the nation of Israel to live every aspect of their lives in submission to his loving lordship according to his creational design. So the people of Israel organized their lives according to God's law. They embodied God's original design for humanity and for the created order and thereby living in contrast to all the other communities around them. The church, the people of God, are called to live under God's reign looking backward to his creational design for direction in each area of our lives. So the church's mission includes discerning God's creational design in every area of our life, irregardless of the way our culture goes in these areas. So here's, here's the challenge, right? Often we look at the world around us and we're quick to judge them as if they're supposed to know to do anything different. Why do we expect the world who does not have God and Christ as their central priority to act any other way than for themselves or whatever they feel is their ultimate identity? That's why God has left the church. That is the role of the church, to be the ones to point back to the created order that God as creator established. We are the ones who have been called to be the light to the world. That's our job. Not the world's job to be different, us to be different. And so in every area of our lives, we must be about displaying God's good and healthy created order. Only in this will we find peace with God in our communities and within ourselves. Then there's the dimension of looking forward. Redeem people and a new creation. Complete restoration. The church is a sign of the restored kingdom of God, a preview of the new heaven and new earth, the life to come in which only righteousness and goodness dwells. Are we a good picture of looking forward? And then looking outward, we are a light to the nations, from Abraham to Israel to the disciples to the church. We are to be a light. We are to follow after God's creational design. And so as the church takes God's gospel to the ends of the earth, we do so by drawing on the upward, inward, backward, and forward dimensions of our life before God. So here's our ultimate answer to what is the church. The church is not just some mere collection of random people who gather together for some random reason. 
the church is God's new people carrying out the mission of God by proclaiming it to the world both in spoken word and especially through its life in the way it lives a life submitted to the original designer, our creator, God himself. The mission, you can view it as this wheel with a hub, right? You've got the hub in the middle, the spokes and the rim on the outside. And the hub or the center of the church's mission is verbal proclamation of Christ's saving work and his offer of salvation to those who believe in him. That's the hub. If Christ and his atonement are removed from the center, the spokes and the rim don't matter. The whole thing's gonna collapse. The spokes and the rim of the church's mission are the promotion of Christ's gospel through our personal, social, and cultural submission to his lordship, his created order. If the spokes and the rim are removed, well then the hub doesn't really have a purpose either and the whole wheel loses traction. God's intention for his church is for the whole wheel to work together so that his gospel is proclaimed and promoted in harmony as a sign and instrument of his kingdom. We are to be, as the church, the image of God. What we do internally matters. And as we've seen articulated through the biblical narrative, God's overarching mission through creation and fall, redemption and restoration, God's mission is to glorify himself by redeeming his image bearers and renewing his good creation, restoring them both to their intended shalom, intended peace. As our place of worship as our gathering together as the church, can it be described as peaceful, as reflecting God's good created order, as making Christ central? The church's mission is to glorify God among the nations by proclaiming and promoting the good news that God is redeeming a people for himself and bringing all things under his good rule. This is the church. This is its mission. This is God's good work of rescuing the nations. Now expanded to all, and we le- I want to leave us with a question to challenge ourselves. Will we be found faithful as his church in our role in moving his mission, not ours, forward? Will we be found faithful as his church in our role in moving his mission forward? Mm-hmm.